Okay. Okay, so uh, this is the second anthem session for Michael Maschern, 2007 2008. Uh, we need to talk about the Latour's with the social uh, basis 63 to uh, 120, basically. The, uh, third and uh, fourth sources of uncertainty. My name is Alexio, and let's do a brief round of introduction just for the record. Yeah, so my name is Rifak. <laughs> um, I'm first year MPhil PhD. Uh, that's all. <laughs> Peter, the Mike Hershey, PhD students, uh, students in the AIS group as well. Joella Vidashin, research officer Marks. So we are five today and maybe there's some more coming, but uh, we, I guess we just start. Um, I have some notes I made on the basis of my reading of this chapter and then there is uh, some notes put on the uh, Google Doc document. Uh, I'm not sure how you want to uh, run through this, but I was uh, thinking about uh, going slightly through, slightly more chronologically, or not page by page, but kind of, sort of, kind of <coughs> covering uh, the <coughs> chapters starting from page 63 and then kind of pinpointing some interesting parts out from there. Uh, so I would like to first put forward a question that uh, about these titles of the chapters because we might have we actually uh, maybe discussed this already last time but Latour has uh, titled the chapters first source of uncertainty, second source of uncertainty, and all the way to fifth source of uncertainty. So the basic question is, what are these uncertainties? How do you understand them? What, what is the uncertainty that we're talking about here? Uh, <laughs> I don't know actually what I've thought about is, uh, um, I mean, uh, the uncertainty is related to the actor concept, so uh, um, I mean, in each thing that surrounds the actor, uh, how the actor uh, is related uh, or constructs the network uh, or act, I mean, the, the concept of action, uh, the concept of uh, actor and, um, and uh, the resembling, I mean, but uh, here I'm identified five sources of uncertainty and uh, talks about the uh, agency and uh, differentiates it from the object. So uh, the actor here he talks about the object and talks about the agents in a distinctive way. So. Okay. <laughs> any other ideas? Because this was, I, have, I, I didn't have any definitive answer for this, but uh, this stuff it just tried me because is in the, really in the title of the first chapter, so it must mean something. Yeah. I mean, 
for me, it seems to be, um, it seems to be, it seems to be part of this whole um, approach to, as far as critique of traditional sociology and the underlying, you know, metaphysics, the traditional kind. Right? It seems to me that these have to do with, um, I sort of agree with Riflock that with the dissolution of some of the dualisms. So the uncertainty, you know, is it, it, kind of, uh, or whether this solution is maybe not the right word. Okay? It doesn't like the word overcoming, so I'm not sure what it is exactly, but this whole the micro-macro strategy, I'm sorry, uh, structure, agency, or, or subject-object debate. So this uncertainty is that, well, we don't know, you know, it's sort of the boundaries, or, 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 or it's all more about accepting the fact that there is actually an uncertainty between, let's say, the subject-object divide rather than saying we'll just ignore it or saying that we've somehow come up with a way to completely solve it and dissolve it. Actually, yeah, I'm uh, in page 75, but I don't have uh, your, your uh, I mean, hard... Uh, okay, so he talks about this uh, debate object-subject, but for him, I mean, uh, A&T should be something completely uh, differentiated and uh, uh, opposed to this question of uh, bridge to the dichotomy object-subject. So he doesn't want anyone to see an end like a bridge, as some have done, I don't know, with situation theory, mm -hmm. to the uh, object-subject debate, but something that... Um, uh, um, adopts a new logic that, I mean, uh, completely uh, deny uh, the existence of this duality. Uh, and here it's not to, uh, how to say, um, to emphasize the importance of uh, this object-subject, but to say, the, the, in the contrary, people have talked about something that is not existent uh, in itself. This object subject shouldn't be. We should not be talking about it. It's uh, it's splitting hairs, or I don't know. I mean, uh, so uh, it's important to note that this has nothing to do with the reconciliation of the famous object subject dichotomy. This is what he's saying. What's it, uh, page 75. And actually, I found it very funny this example yeah. because he talks about the soldiers. Yeah. The naked soldiers, you remember, Peter? I don't know, Offer, I mean, uh, uh, talked about uh, um, when he says, um, uh, so it's in the chapter, objects help trace social connections only yeah. intermittent. Okay, so, uh, by imagining a group of soldiers and officers stark naked with a huge heap of paraphernalia, thanks, reference, paperwork, uniforms, and then claim that, of course, there exists some dialectical relation between the two. One should retort uh, adamantly, no, there exists no relation whatsoever between the material and the social world, because it's this very division which is a complete artifact. To reject such a divide is not to relate the heap of naked soldiers with the heap of material stuff, it's to redistribute the whole assemblage from top to bottom and beginning to end. So I, I like this uh, because I, I think also Chanyevska gave this example um, uh, in her talk. Uh, Orlikovsky. Yes, also Orlikovsky. Yes. Uh, I think you're right. Kind of, this is somehow how I understood this answer, this is a kind of 
we need to kind of accept that we don't know what are the ingredients of activity unless we study them. And this is like Peter say, I understood that also the, it was uh, sort of part of this critique of uh, traditional sociology, which we last time actually pointed out that there are <coughs> there seems to be two kinds of this traditional sociology. There is a sociology in general, what we talks about, and then there is this that there is critical sociology, which is even worse from Latour's perspective. The funny thing you point out is uh, dialectic that they, Latour he doesn't accept uh, di- the dialectical uh, thinking. I don't know actually the reason for that. I don't know where, where, where that rejection comes from, probably from Marxist uh, materialism that was some related to I guess, Hegelian dialectics. Now I, I'm on really thin ice because I haven't read so much, but that's my about those things, but that's my impression. But the funny thing actually is that if you look at how Latour constructs this uh, sociology of associations, to me it seems somehow that dialectical uh, approach that you take this contrast and then you kind of play against his... The whole beginning of book is kind of kind of building against in contrast to kind of traditional sociology. So some might say that that's actually a dialectical yeah. approach. Yeah, but uh, also uh, if you look, I don't know, a little bit uh, further in uh, um, uh, the philosophical aspect of it, and then you, you will find that this dichotomy object-subject uh, only, I mean, presents itself in this essentialist, determinist uh, conception of uh, uh, phenomena. So here, by saying that I don't want to um, support uh, the idea that there is a debate between subject and object, so I'm trying to bridge it, is actually to reject all the Copernicanian uh, philosophy and uh, say, I mean, uh, uh, when we talk about object, we don't, we don't talk about substances and material in object. I mean, here it comes also the concept of durability. It doesn't see the object as, as having an essence by itself that makes it more durable than another object. So that's why, I mean, uh, he doesn't want actually that people interpret A&T as a bridge to this debate, so... Uh, is, I, I try to find that point, but some, at some point there is this, I think, there's this passage for what says kind of, that he doesn't want to kind of transcend or kind of bridge, but kind of some points of thinking at least you should better just to ignore them, he puts yeah. it in, in somehow that way, but kind of coming, kind of a little bit continuing on the, uh, this, talking about this, because this is obviously criticism of uh, traditional sociology, whatever that might be, and I, I argued last time that uh, actually there would be, there are elements of sort of division of labor, kind of Plato is proposing sort of division of labor, but now we, after reading these two chapters, I feel that uh, there was more and more, uh, he wants to revolutionize or kind of complete paradigm shift or kind of just get rid of the 
uh, traditional sociology altogether. Sometimes I feel it's sort of wordplay, but on the other hand, I, I don't know what was your feeling of this because it was funny. He put it in quite a funny way, but it, that he says that okay, the traditional sociology is good for studying baboons. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny you say that because I had, I mean, last week I disagreed with you because last week I was saying that. Uh, well, I thought, yes, he's proposing something quite radical and he's not, um, he's debunking uh, traditional traditional sociology. And actually, in this chapter, I thought he was kinder to, and in fact, in some places, um, he, he mentioned that, well, the original insight of sociology was correct. And, you know, it, it is about, um, you know, studying associations. The problem is more about the way people have actually ended up kind of, well, how it solidified into a particular way of doing research. I mean, this whole business of having a few mediators and lots of intermediaries. Hmm. And, and so what he's sort of turning that around, foreground, background. Yeah. But, but, but it is a bit, I mean, he's proposing something quite radical, I would say. So. Yeah, actually, he's proposing, um, I mean, um, uh, it's like uh, an alarm or like uh, uh, I've got um, in on the awareness of people and how they have uh, transformed uh, the social uh, explanations because uh, um, I don't know, for example, he doesn't reject really the uh, Marxist um, I mean um, view on classes because it's also about labor actor network is about labor and uh, here I mean we back up all the, uh, the Marxist arguments then reject them uh, although he puts his own spin on it so uh, although, yeah, I mean, he, he seems to make some interesting sort of noises about Marxism here and there uh, it's, it's not a, he doesn't uh, sort of uh, reject it outright so, so that's interesting I mean, I thought that uh, a lot of these chapters are proposing sort of an alternative metaphysics or on top of, you know, being, of course, talking mostly about sociology and it all seems to suggest that, well, we're talking about groups of people and sociology and things like that, but underlying it, or maybe it's not underlying it, in it, he seems to be reworking a, a sort of a new kind of ontology almost, because if you... Yeah. If you talk about these, let's say, the different chapters, so chapter one, first, source of uncertainty, although he talks about groups, but you could also consider this as any kind of entity. Saying any entity is not an entity, it's assembled of lots of other entities or relations okay. or different entities, and it's being performed, so identity is mediated, as opposed to just being there. You know, so, so, so already that's a kind of an ontological or, or metaphysical statement. Then the second source of uncertainty is talks about causality, and you could say that's a fundamental sort of metaphysical issue or ontological issue. What's the nature of causality? So action is overtaken, causality is distributed. What's the third one? So we are on aspects. Yeah. Reality. Yeah. That, that, that's right. And then this third source. Now we are on to suddenly a new way of looking at the social. well, also the objects or actually, you know, materiality and the relationship between humans and non-humans. Mm -hmm. So, 
So, so the, the uncertainty in, in other terms is not restricted to this uh, dichotomy between objects and, uh, and well, non-human and human agents. It's more about what is the social, what, and this is the whole book is all about that. So what is this ether of society that social sociologists or these traditional sociologists yeah. used to think of? And uh, it's, it's the hazy ground between these two new visions. You have the old vision of traditional mm -hmm. social sociologists and the new, and his ANT yeah, theory, yeah, which is yeah, a bit different. And this is what I thought was the uncertainty. It's the yeah. line of demarcation between the two, and it's hazy. And, yeah. Actually, I, I found amazing that in this chapter, I mean, these two chapters, it's the first time in his life that, I mean, in explicitly he situates he situates uh, ANT in STS and uh, um, um, the knowledge, uh, uh, you know, uh, SSK, yeah. SSK, yeah. yeah. Uh, the ones yeah. he talked about as France mm -hmm. and how these France finally are not real France because, I mean, uh, uh, the agenda of Actor Network is beyond what these deconstructivists mm. uh, have uh, brought to the project of science. Actually, it's in, um, uh, yeah, I will tell you the page when he started talking about... Uh, In page uh, 94, I have the fortunate track of sociology of science. Okay. Yeah, because here, well, this is pretty. Uh, yeah, we jumped. Yeah. <laughs> That's okay because it continues this discussion about the how this how AMT actually relates to traditional sociology, yeah. mm -hmm. which is obviously kind of it's a difficult question, and I guess might be impossible to even to get a kind of straight answer from Latu, maybe he just, uh, kind of, but, but why it's a really relevant question is obviously kind of if you want to use this for something, it's good to know kind of what kind of beast it is you are using, mm -hmm. and, and because uh, quite often when you read uh, articles that say that they apply A&T, well first of all they have quite often very little to do with A&T, mm -hmm. I'm just Finally, enough, I'm obsessed to review an article for a journal on using ANC, and it kind of mixes quite happily all these approaches that seem to be, if you take this really serious metaphysical, ontological statement, are not strictly speaking compatible with each other. But about the uh, sociology of science, this kind of the historical talk about here, this is pretty. Uh, uh, this in a way well known where it, and he kind of makes uh, justice for the roots of the ANT here but the, but the interesting thing is uh, two, actually two points in footnotes page 96 the footnote uh, 225 if you haven't read kind of really heated debate in science yeah, kind of yeah. read the David Rose anti-lature it's really exchange of kind of really. Yeah, it, it's yeah. kind of really they, they were really fighting each other. I haven't read the epistemological chicken, but it, uh, it will be 
proposing that. I guess one negative answer for that is that it's definitely difficult to put this. Of kind of it's a mistake to try to put AT into these ready-made boxes, whether it's an ontology, whether it's an epistemology, whether it's a methodology or method. Kind of that way, you won't get much out of this. If you put it, take it as a methodology or method, you will end up doing really kind of one of those studies that have the AMT label, but actually you, when you read them, you don't, you see that you wouldn't need AMT anything for anything here, so you won't actually kind of, you just confuse things. It does uh, yeah. criticize that word, yeah. uh, the notion of method or methodology somewhere. Yeah. So remember uh, where actually, yeah, I mean, Latour is not really, uh, uh, doesn't really like labels. So uh, for him, there is no such a thing that uh, uh, ANT study, but that you may recognize an ANT study even <coughs> though it doesn't have the name of ANT study. And uh, you see, so uh, for example, he talks about five types of uh, studies that, that I mean may bring on uh, social explanations very rich and uh, and give something when he talks about innovation. So we can when he talks about how to study the object, so he talks about innovation, he talks about in case of failure, then you, I mean, uh, then uh, the black box, you can open it again. He talks about historical uh, studies and retrospectives. Uh, the fourth one was uh, um, to look into routines and uh, to uh, depend what is taken for granted. And uh, I mean, he, he stated five types of uh, studies that do not have the uh, label of AIT but still uh, could be uh, pursued in the same spirit. So there is, a, I would say, a, a common factor between which is. Maybe naively rigor or integrity or uh, going, I mean, slowly and deeply in uh, in identifying all the controversies and the act, I mean, and how they are related to the actors, the options. Uh, actually, that's one thing on my list. But before we go that, I would like to add uh, because once we picked up this, this big role of science studies and where the action network came up, we could. Uh, <coughs> Look what it's on these same pages that uh, kind of Latour talks about the science, sociology of science or science studies, basically studying science uh, from a sociological point of view. Mm-hmm. So, what he is, science studies, curiously, are a very central role in any sociology, which I think it's uh, interesting. What, what, what did, you, did you get something out of this because it was something in a way new to me? It's obvious that this came from science studies, but now he actually says that kind of any kind of, any kind of sociology must have science studies at its core, which is pretty radical statement in a way. Well, at one point he even goes further and says that uh, the history of technology is the same as actual network theory. I mean, have you picked that up? I mean, it's no. roughly talking about that. He actually, uh, it's a good question. Um, <coughs> let me just see if I got that in my notes. But it's in a footnote. Uh, 
mean, oh, okay, page 81. Uh, put footnote 101. Uh, so, uh, as you can see, the footnotes are quite interesting. <laughs> you cannot read this book without the footnotes. I mean, uh, yeah. yeah. I guess Derrida would have something to say about that. <laughs> footnotes. Uh, but on 101, it says there is no difference on that score between history of technology, technology and A and T. Yeah. Which, you know, for me, I mean, someone sort of interested in Heidegger, you know, you instantly think of the question concerning technology because Heidegger, you know, has that essay saying technology demands uh, a new way of thinking or, you know, demands that we think or, or almost or, or so, so basically the emergence of technology and, and so to say that A&D is actually the same as the history of technology I mean, it's a very curious way to put it and a very Heideggerian way to put it. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, in the paragraph actually following that, he talks also about science fiction as potential anti-studies. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the resource of fiction can bring through the use of uh, counterfactual history, though experiments and science fiction, the solid objects of today into the fluid state. So, I mean, future and past, uh, it doesn't... Uh, see it in like uh, time doesn't have the same signification in uh, in active network. Uh, which page please? 81. But it makes sense it's because if you remember in the lecture he talked about the thought experiment and how he takes it very seriously and science fiction in this case I guess he would take it very seriously. But that's very consistent with and, and in a way it answers a lot of the questions raised in this session today in the previous chapter where he says that uh, um, well, actually, that question is about practical metaphysics or empirical metaphysics, which each of the actors are involved in. So, as a scientist, you follow the actor and to see how the actors are constructing the world, so to speak, or constructing. Uh, well, that's the metaphysics. So, 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 what is A and T? You know, what is actual network theory? It seems to be uh, an approach where you are actually studying the world being constructed. Because if you bring in previous notions then you are doing what he said, traditional sociology, you are using some kind of a solid theory and use that and, and everything else becomes an intermediary because that theory will explain everything. So you know, you bring that theory and it says cause and effect, you know, already figure that, you know, everything else is just uh, intermediary and that mediator is the cause which I decided about before I even began the research. Yeah. The, the, the two points related to technology and studying technology in a curious way because, well, in a way, technology is science fiction. This is not only about action and theory, but developing technology is figuring a new kind of society that would need this kind of technologies because quite often technologies don't are uh, well if you develop medicine you have maybe a fairly uh, clear need or problem you need to solve but quite often developing technology is inventing new problems for the society and yeah. sol solving problems that don't actually exist so in that sense it's kind of developing yeah. fiction and kind of looking into the future and uh, uh, here coming back to the so I signed he talks about four 
possibilities for science studies. This is somewhere page 97, I think. Just, I would like to pick up on what you said because uh, it's very important and here it, it, it joins also the idea of society and collective. Why, for example, for him, uh, um, we can't, when he says we, uh, we should talk about collective, but the moment we have uh, involved technologies, then we started having a society and when he draws this comparison between the baboons Uh, community and uh, human being community and what's the difference uh, it's uh, also you will find the social uh, very present in baboons uh, uh, communities uh, but what you will not find is the presence of technology and innovation and uh, I mean technology here may be also intellectual technologies uh, so the objects as well as the ideas and, uh, and uh, uh, I think it's the An article with Swedish from Hebrew sometime many, many years ago about the baboons and yeah. kind of it's it's wonderful article in a sense what is kind of, because he points out that actually a baboon society they are uh, their society is totally social in a way that kind of uh, they don't have all the technologies kind of framing the interaction meaning that all the kind of institutions and institutionalizations are based on the goodwill and the memory of those individual bubbles, meaning that it's very difficult to build any kind of complex systems if you have to depend on that uh, this person remembers kind of... Even having this kind of meeting would be very difficult without calendars. It would be totally dependent on that uh, we can keep our calendar in our mind. Mm -hmm. yeah. So that's kind of how actually complex systems and that this is also related to I think I haven't read that we have never been modern but I guess this is the argument there that actually this kind of being the delegating and making the society more and more complex by enrolling these non-human entities is actually a very human thing to run from the prehistory. It not it's not nothing it doesn't have anything to do with in in kind of qualitative there's nothing qualitatively different in modern way of enrolling this form. Well, that's the significance of this third source of uncertainty. Yeah. Uh, so, bringing in the role of inanimate objects, or well, it's not just objects actually, because eventually he expands it to all kinds of other objects and quasi-objects and all of that. Well, how do you yeah. understand the concept of object? Because Lavur, in, pre in his previous kind of his previous texts, he precisely tried to avoid the using the word of object. Oh, yeah. Which he deconstructs here as well. I mean, mm. he does get rid of it. Actually, I thought that also it's a very interesting point. He um, explains here very clearly in these uh, chapters that, uh, I mean, for him, what's important in the notion of objects is not the agency that is, uh, I mean, uh, contained in the object, but uh, to show that the, uh, the assemblage is made by heterogeneous material. So you will not find only human agency, but you will find also all this material physicality, all this stillness of the objects that is melting with the social. So we cannot talk about social forces as if they were, I don't know, uh, collectives of uh, human agency, but uh, I mean the importance is that we um, understand that these objects in their performative of I mean, uh, uh, aspects 
are very important in the assemblage. Uh, so here I, I thought that it's a very interesting point because this is actually the response to the critiques on the, uh, on the symmetry and the symmetry of uh, actor network because uh, uh, it, the object is not to say that uh, uh, tables may talk and uh, uh, or, or no, but or just... That, or that humans are unimportant. Or humans are not important. Absolutely, I mean, I think it's a fundamental sort of move, especially in the fourth source of uncertainty. So, sort of the, so he, he's kind of producing in a certain order. First, he introduces the agency of objects, then he moves on to disorder. But to answer or, or to respond to um, Alex's question, I mean, he, he, he picks up this notion of the object, but then he, he, he warns that this object, this notion is going to be disposed of, and instead of that he will later on talk about matters of concern. He points out that in, on page 80, there is a citation, I wrote it down, uh, about objects. Mm. Uh, let me see. Object, it's in the first paragraph, somewhere in the middle of it. Uh, it's in the end of the... 80? 80, yeah. Is it's it the one where he compares speech, writing and objects? Yeah, this is... But objects appear associable with one another and with social ties only momentarily. Yeah. What I would like to hi hi highlight here is that uh, the kind of this the objects are performed in these kind of social groupings and collectives, and they are not something that kind of would be would exist out there ready to be perceived and kind of manipulated, but they are kind of uh, perceived within and performed in, in action. I mean, I took this sentence in the whole paragraph where it is situated and uh, I mean, it starts saying that speech acts always comparable, compatible, contiguous, uh, contiguous and continues with other speech acts writing with writing, interaction with interaction, but objects appear associable. And here it draws the, uh, the difference that, uh, um, I mean, because this uh, helped a lot sociologists when they talk about uh, uh, social forces, then they imagine a very homogeneous stuff in the social force that is causing whatever, uh, whatsoever effects. Uh, like, for example, uh, uh, I don't know, uh, um, Clash social classes, uh, the clash of classes, sorry, mm -hmm. and its influences on the uh, emerge in France, for example, that this is caused by this. So actually what he rejects is this uh, usage of uh, uh, social forces as if they were uh, in, uh, materialized through a very homogeneous uh, uh, stuff very concrete that you can, uh, I don't know, bound within uh, uh, that is causing something. Uh, I situated this more in this sense. Yeah, and let me have to write up that sentence there was this point you already made is that uh, how, where do we observe these objects and kind of association of humans and not humans in your objects is that uh, list this five or four or five situations which uh, obviously study innovation when things are into making kind of not yet there 
technology. This is once again this is not only action network theory, this is pretty basic stuff from the technology and science and technology studies that why do you what's the point of studying science and technology is that you see things in the making there. Uh, then another was this kind of seeing things from the uh, distance in a kind of strange environment. Third one was this is once again this is very uh, this is not only active network theory but uh, in technology studies this is a very basic finding that many things come uh, visible only when they break down. You know this that there is data projector in the room when it breaks down. You notice that there is plumbing beneath the streets when it, when they break down. And uh, well, the, oh, Peter, do you have objection here? Oh no, 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 no objections at all. Uh, what uh, in fact, I have objection to talk about objects. <laughs> we, we cannot have objections here. Uh, this this whole problematic also very very strongly. You know, reminds me of Heidegger and Heidegger's discussion of the hammer, you know, and the present at hand, ready at hand, ready, present to hand, ready, okay, one more time, <laughs> ready to hand, present at hand distinction. You know, remember that Heidegger says that when you are using the hammer, hammering, whatever, you don't know that actually, you're not paying attention to the hammer, the hammer withdraws and does its job, yeah. as, you know, you walk into a room and you don't conceptualize every single thing that's in that room. You know you're in a room. It sort of withdraws and it's there. While when the hammer breaks, then suddenly when things break, that's when you realize that there is an object, an individual object. That's when you talk about objects. And of course Heidegger's critique was that he was saying that science only looks at things when they're broken, so to speak, in this present uh, at hand view state. So that science doesn't realize that there's an, another aspect of reality to things which may not be immediately obvious. So when you're looking at, a, at an object and you're looking at it specifically and in a present-to-hand sense, you don't notice the relations or you don't notice how that object came to be or whatever. I mean, you're just looking at it in, in a this sort of isolated, broken sense. And the question is, yeah. why should you? Why should you notice that objects have an impact on whatever you're doing in your laboratory or in your technological lab or whatever? Well, well, I, mean, I guess I just point was that, um, well, then a big, a large or huge um, sort of part of reality is not being considered by science, or or, or an aspect of reality uh-huh. is being ignored because you only pay attention to things that you can really grasp. And so even an object, something that stands against you, something that you can, you know, so, and of course I think it goes on to link this to this whole idea of gestell and yeah. framing and, yeah. and of course you can take that to you know, capitalist whatever, material production and pollution and whatever you want to link it to. Uh, Somehow it's, it's, this is very kind of elusive idea and I it always escapes me, but somehow it reminds me of the fact that uh, when we kind of look and science is about reflecting upon things, and we're basically kind of reflecting and kind of focusing on something misty, you kind of somehow freeze it from the action, you take it out from the end, and then you start staring at it, whether it 
what are kind of opportunities. But in, in concrete action, we always, uh, in order to act, you have to take most of the things uh, unreflectively, kind of as if kind of at face value, as black box, and whatever you want to call them. And kind of this aspect of activity may go very well uh, unnoticed in the scientific analysis because scientific analysis is about freezing things and kind of uh, we can always start reflecting upon anything but we can't reflect about everything all the time we wouldn't be couldn't do anything mm-hmm. yeah that's and this is you don't need it in the science making the making of science while you are in it it's yeah, not needed sure. yeah. it's when you abstract it when you try to analyze what is happening the phenomenon itself yeah. then you have to yeah, yes. yeah. I mean, this is, I mean, I found it in Harman's, uh, when he talks about uh, the role that he has created, the septic, actually, this guy who will ask questions and question and doubt any scientific, I mean, any scientific fact. And uh, what was interesting in this is uh, when he said that um, actually it's not a question of power relationship because the professor is the professor and he knows more, so uh, the sceptic can only fail in front of him. But it's because all, all, all of these objects, all of these instruments which are involved in backing up, uh, yes, is it the word, the scientific fact, that actually the sceptic is not just facing the professor, but all the black boxes that the professor has admitted in his construction of the scientific fact, so he can only lose at the end. I mean, it's it's almost obvious that the result will be, uh, uh, I don't know if it's <laughs> related actually to what I think we are touching something in, in, in interesting here, because uh, kind of against construct, obviously uh, this is not kind of determinism or positivism in a sense that things that exist are constructed actively. But on the other hand, against constructivism, which tends to say that, uh, okay, everything is constructed, gender is constructed, this and that is uh, constructed, but uh, kind of quite willing on this idea that everything is constructed, actually we don't see that in, in activity, kind of many things just have to be taken as as uh, granted. Yeah. This is something I would like to kind of go into deeper, but I, I don't know how and kind of not necessarily now, but kind of there is something interesting definitely. Yeah, actually, here. he has devoted like a section for that, talking about constructivism and social constructivism in uh, the fourth source of uncertainty. We can have a look at that uh, next. When, when he explains what does it mean. What, what's the page? Page, uh, it starts at 88 ah, and goes yeah. into yeah. 91.2. I mean, he, uh, he, uh, he draws the boundaries between what's, what does it mean constructed and what does it mean social constructed. And that, I mean, because uh, the level of constructivism then we had like uh, uh, stereotypes or uh, taken for granted ideas that now we have to, uh, I mean, criticize and debunk before even starting using the term constructed because uh, constructivism is so uh, overloaded with uh, uh, a priori and uh, um, and uh, your understanding 
that you can no more use constructed and uh, with, for example, uh, the realist ontology. Yeah, there is one Latourian wordplay somewhere here, uh, 92 page. Even that constructivism was a synonym for increase in realism. Yeah, this I like. It's a wonderful way of putting it. We were fitted by our colleagues in social critique as having shown that at least even science is bound. Yeah. yeah. So, I think there are little problems with the with the way constructivism and realism and I mean all those terms are used of, I think that Latour completely used them in an entirely different sense although it is still realism I mean, it, it seems that he's saying that he's a constructivist realist yeah. for that real, it, it is realism he's after in a sense but of course not the realism the way it's been understood what realism is or you know what yeah. people say will say I am a realist so, so I mean, it's all about realist, realism in the end. I mean, so it's, a, it's an ontology and it's a, trying to come up with a theory of reality. Yeah, actually, Janis point, pointed out in his lecture on constructivism, was it yesterday, quite nice that he actually, I think it, it makes a lot of sense. Janis said that actually uh, constructivism is, can be seen uh, most points of constructivism as a certain uh, subtype of realism. Usually they are played against each other, yeah. but it kind of as reading like from hacking, which is a kind of mm-hmm. nice person to read along with Latour. You see, you can you see that kind of and Janice made this point. Kind of constructivism makes very little sense unless you admit that there is something beyond the constructions. There is a reality out yeah. there. Yeah, actually, mm-hmm. uh, here Latour, I mean. He said that when we say that a fact is constructed in page 91, mm. uh, we simply mean that we account for the solid objective reality by mobilizing various entities whose assemblage could fail. Social constructivism means, on the other hand, that we replace what this reality is made of with some other stuff, the social in which it's really based. Here is critique on this idea of social as a material or stuff and kind of substitute yeah. all this different kinds of entities with the social forces that lie behind us. So that's why, that's why he doesn't think like social constructivism. And actually, uh, this is an old story, and you must have heard this, but kind of his breakthrough to social construction, scientific facts, laboratory life, the subtitle for it, they dropped. the first In the first edition, the subtitle was the social construction of scientific facts. The next version, a couple of years after, they dropped the social construction. It was just construction, construction. of scientific facts, mm-hmm. precisely because of this reason. Yeah. And uh, Harman now, I mean, with his philosophy, uh, object-oriented philosophy, is trying to uh, avoid all this vocabulary by bringing... Yeah, the vocabulary is very, uh, very confusing and complicated because yeah, people are using all these terms very, very differently. So once, I mean, by the time Harman is using the word object, it's been deconstructed three times before. <laughs> it's not in the same sense that anybody else has ever used that word, you know. But just one really important thing that seems to me to sort of understand what a Latourian constructivist or constructionist realism might look like, I would like to backtrack a little bit to page 72. Uh, if that's okay with you guys, because I thought there was a key passage there 
and, and, and that follows on from page 71, where he makes a distinction between actants and actors, and I'm not sure if it was just... What was happening? Well, it starts at page 71, and he makes a distinction between actors and actants, and I don't know what you thought, guys, before, but I... I always thought that those were the same. The yeah. same. I mean, I always thought that actor actant is just kind of okay. You call it actant so that it's not anthropomorphic, so so that people don't think of humans or, or whatever. But here, actually, he makes a distinction between actors and actants. He says, on the middle of page seventy-one, says by contrast, uh, where is it actually? Yeah. If we stick to our. Oh, you very. Uh, yeah. That's I highlight. I think so. he doesn't. Oh, it says it says is an actor, or if it has no figuration yet, an actor. The only thing I could no figure, no? No figuration. figuration. The only thing I could think of, because I think he doesn't make this distinction before. I have read most of Latour's text from nineties, uh -huh. and uh, I think they're actor and actor. Yeah, sometimes like maybe he says in some text that the actor was just chosen as a term because the word mm -hmm. actor connotates too much human actor. Yeah. Yes. So basically he says that these are synonyms, but here what it might be, now this is just my guess, is that uh, kind of, let's take an example of bacteria, kind of from the pasteurization. Pasteur made the bacteria with the help of pasteur, it emerged as an actor, but before that it was just an actor, it was kind of sort of existing as forces, but it wasn't kind of recognized as an hmm. actor. Yes, yeah. This might be, it would be interesting to yeah. ask I from Hammer or Latour what he yeah. means by this. Uh, another guess also is, I mean, the sense of the action, because uh, you can act upon an actor, you cannot act upon an actant, because, you, you, uh, I don't know, the actor, you, I mean, uh, um, I mean, he comes back to this ontology and this reality, when a thing is real and when it's not. It's real because it's able to act or to be acted upon. So even in a passive way, it may be real, but you should have a relation between something else that, that is acting upon it. So here I always understood the concept of acting as an ongoing something, and that it's more than one, and less than, I don't know, uh, not I even defined, so... Passage in somewhere, maybe in Pandora's hope, that, uh, how actors become, come into being, and it's the yes. easy, but he says that uh, there is, first they exist as some kind of combinations of forces, and only kind of gradually they are recognized as a full-fledged actor, and only in the, kind of in the end they are labeled as bacteria. And this might be a way of kind of answering the critique, obviously, with people quite often make where the hell were bacteria before Pasteur invented them. Right. And I think, I think, uh, I think, if you ask from here, I think there were no bacteria before Pasteur invented them. There were the horses, but kind of it doesn't make sense to say there was bacteria before them. Well, you must, you must finish reading uh, Arnold's manuscript yeah, because yeah. he made strong defense. I'm not sure how many of you managed to get through Graham's manuscript. Uh, in the second but, chapter. But, uh, well, later, the, towards the end in his evaluation or criticism, I mean, he makes a, a major, I mean, this is a major point, this whole example, in fact, you know, what, where there have, have, have these bacteria existed before or not, and, and, and this debate is, 
he, he frames it within this whole issue of correlationism by, I don't know how to pronounce that guy's name, Meissou, or the, the French um, philosopher. Which one? Quentin um, Meissou, or something like that. I don't speak French, so I don't Meissou know how to French. French. No, sorry about that. We'll, we'll find out if it's how to pronounce his name. Apparently, his father was a very famous sociologist. But, but, but anyway, he, he came up with this idea of correlationism, or he defined this problem in philosophy that, you know, does the world exist outside of humans? So if humans would not exist, would the world still exist? We have carbon dating. Uh, yeah, but, but, but uh, according to this, I mean, you know, one argument could be, so, so you are a correlationist if you need a human. If you need humans for a world to yeah. be there, you're a correlationist. And you're not a correlationist, you're more of a realist. Yes. If, for you, the world would still exist if, I don't know, a massive, um, you know, something from space would hit another planet, you know, the Earth, and then we would be wiped out. I, I, I understand this, but I have to agree, because I still like to defend this position. I would say there would be something, but there would be no... I would say, before Pasteur invented bacteria, there was no such collective, there was no kind of... They were not kind of they were so, that kind of actor didn't, because we are talking about activism. Yeah. Okay, I think that's there it. Was, you the bacteria, the bacteria was not performed. Well, the big they were performing is, as well as... Uh, the the they did not have the concept. And it did not have the control yeah. of the bacteria. The correlation was not there. I'm saying that what Latour is saying that you shouldn't... You see, he wants to conflate ontology and epistemology. So there is no concept here and bacteria here. He wants to put these together. Yeah. This is, but this is precisely a very interesting question. Alexi, but from an actor network perspective, this debate is not held <laughs> in the sense that, uh, I mean, uh, for him, the bacteria does exist. Does ether exist? But there's another figuration, as you said. So you can say well, that it is an unrecognized actor. Before. Yes. What? Yes. So what do you have? It's concept and figuration. But yes. It's not, a, it's not the creation of the being. In the world, that is actor. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, okay. This, this, this question of the this question of the the status of the human observer is, I think, you know, very important or a big issue. I think. Mm -hmm. And yeah. you know, um, I think it's an ongoing issue. Well, for actor network theory, what is the status of the inquirer? What is the status of the scientist? Or what is the status of? I'm not sure. You can later, later on about it. Let's talk about it. Actually, yeah, I wanted to know if Latour and actor network, I mean, highlight this point in a specific way because I've thought that I mean the way they they want through that is that not to challenge. Um, all this debate about uh, uh, is reality in human mind or is reality outside because uh, he wanted to bring uh, both the essence and, and uh, the performative uh, power of uh, the constructs, both of them. We have this and we have this and, <laughs> and uh, okay, well, not well, in the well, sense of bridging, but... Well, uh, yeah, let me ask this way, uh, is there ether? <coughs> Is there what? Is there ether, the stuff in the space? Well, this is how they used to think about it, right? It's, uh, they no, thought no, no. it was wrong, so they uh, 
it's it, it was really, but it was very real for those people. So that where did it go? So why do our what is kind of only those things that we think are real kind of why did why did they have to exist but, yeah, forever? But the fact that you can misconceptualize the things doesn't mean that something's not out there. Yeah. I'm not saying that something the is not out there. The fact that you're not able to conceptualize also doesn't mean that I'm, I'm not saying that there wouldn't something. be something out there even before humans started observing them. But I'm just kind of... Okay, maybe we have to talk, get back to this when we talk about the question of human observer because I think that that's kind of... To me, that has been one of the difficult things in action network theory that it talks so much about that we have to count in everything. But on the other hand, there has been, at least before this, I haven't heard anything about the role of the human observer because obviously the guy who, when we do research, yeah. we, we tend to be humans who observe the things. So, yeah. kind of whether we can step outside our role as humans. Uh, that's this is the moment. If the moment you have an account from an object on an object, then you can talk about all this debate. But actually this debate is imprisoned in us, in a way. So we cannot have an account from, I don't know, a narrative from an object talking about another object, so we can state that this object is outside or not. That's why I thought that Active Network wanted to bridge that once for all. and. Maybe <laughs> bridge is not the right word. Oh, okay. I mean, you see, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm not quite sure either. In my mind, I haven't quite decided, you know, whether to, to what extent Latour actually has an answer to that. But one thing he, one thing, sometimes one thing he seems to say that well, it's an uncertainty. I mean, it's one of the uncertainties. So the controversies. So, yeah. so maybe we don't need to, or it's okay if you don't have an answer for that, you know, right away, but it's an uncertainty, that controversy that inspires further work. But uh, Harman, I mean, in his abstract for his talk on the 29th, he actually says that Latour overcomes Heidegger's design centrism. So, so Harman suggests that Latour has successfully, um, you know, overcome the, the uh, reliance on the observer or the observer's What's the argument of Harman on that? Because I didn't mm. see any kind of proof or evidence given by Latour to overcome that. I mean, by speeches, when he talks about uh, uh, his network, he includes, I mean, the, the object. But, uh, I mean, how could you say that his ontology is realist <laughs> by, by, by material proof, not just by vocabulary and rhetoric? And text because this, I mean, uh, I, I thought that Harmon is really low <laughs> with Latour because he, he made this point that Latour wants beyond all this philosopher because he included the object, but I didn't see how he included it actively. Uh, all the narratives or the retrospective we have are from a human perspective, or when they include the object, even with it when he says the slogan, uh, follow the object. Even when you follow the object, it's from a human perspective. Then, I don't know, Peter, I mean... Uh... Well, you have to ask Joanna uh, <laughs> Harman about that, obviously, <laughs> when, when, when he comes. Um... Did he make this argument? I mean, did he defend it, uh, develop it? Because I just arrived at half of the 
Well, he does talk. I mean, towards the end of it, I mean, I have to read the um, Harmon's manuscript again, but because uh, it was a while ago that I read it now. But I think he argues that actual network theory or love towards metaphysics has the resources to account for objects in interacting with each other. Um, even though most of Latour's work, because he studied scientists and science and labs, humans are always around and was discussing humans, but the actual metaphysics of it is uh, neutral in that sense. This is what he made, in, because we had this discussion in this, this Google group, he made this point, mm -hmm. which is pretty interesting. Uh, uh, and Latour also makes the same point in, in here when he talks about uh, going back to the uh, the task of science studies, and he's, he goes through the kind of different views. What, how, how can science be studied from the social or sociological perspective? He says first that okay, one of possibilities is say uh, it's impossible to give social explanation of science. Basically, science is discovering the objective facts out there, and there is the social forces can only intervene in making inducing errors. Another possibility is what kind of the two next possibilities are to say to admit that okay we can study scientists as human beings in special role from sociological perspective or their kind of cognitive and technical aspects of doing science. But then he comes to this the A and T way yeah. is that he says that thorough sociology of science is possible. So basically kind of which is quite radical claim so that it's not only limited to the superficial social context, but the very uh, thing in itself, how, how physicists, what is the knowledge physicists create, and, uh, and, uh, and, he, and he points out that here, this, the ordinary social theories are not very helpful. This is obviously a radical claim, and it, it relates to the fact that the, uh, the way he puts the sociology of science in the core of the uh, sociology, basically, because his idea is that kind of, uh, <coughs> the problem with the sociological facts, uh, kind of knowledge production, has been that it, it may have happily created this knowledge that the actors themselves haven't been very interested in it so much kind of and, and what he wants to do is to kind of emulate so natural sciences in that way that we kind of create by creating sort of uh, facts and knowledge the actors themselves object in a word sense of word kind of the object that say kind of this is not uh, true and kind of like raise this kind of controversy people kind of object and then kind of maybe the uh, arguments stand out those objections. This is precisely what Latour is doing himself. He annoys a lot of people and then people kind of start objecting his claims and maybe those claims stand up the uh, uh, test, it, which is actually quite popular in idea of science. Mm -hmm. Kind of making bold claims and then seeing if the bold, those bold claims can live up or if they are kind of crushed. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, and the, 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 yeah, yeah, it would be interesting to hear what Han has to say about this, because this is really, this is quite a, well, strong and radical claim, but, and I don't quite understand how, how I don't understand that I don't understand how an actor network theory could be used for understanding the 
interactions between two quarks or atoms. Yeah. yeah. Well, I guess the idea is. Sorry, want to say something? Uh, yeah, just just the concept of this concept of uh, cultivating the recalcitrants, and uh, in this sense that uh, uh, the moment that you will have um, things uh, interacting without <laughs> without I mean humans uh, intervention, but still I mean uh, you have the the observation, the observer, and uh, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so. Mm. Well, well, I think one thing that he does, well, one actually point I sort of wanted to make before, that interesting thing is, I mean, he does this leveling, right, that humans and non-humans are the same. But you could argue that, well, that's what Heidegger was accusing the sciences of doing, that they are doing leveling, you know. I mean, this Gestell was a, some form of leveling. So how is this leveling different from... You know, actually, Heidegger makes this point that for now, that, that today, I mean, it's not an exact quote, but in the question concerning technology, he said that today, uh, humans for, um, well, humans turned into human resources. You know, that now you have human resources management. It's not, companies are not dealing with people, they are dealing with human resources. So even humans became resources. So, so if uh, traditional science was actually had a notion of symmetry in the sense that everything was um, um, the same. What I'm trying to say is if I'm studying you, I study you as an object and then you've got biology. You know, so I'm going to study you, put you under the microscope, take some samples, etc. You're not any different from the way of studying a table or, or some other phenomena. So you have biology, you know, as, as an example. And... Um, so, so that's the interesting thing. How is Latour's leveling different from science's leveling a tradition, in the traditional sense? Because he clearly seems to be, well, he claims his, his leveling is a different sort of leveling, you know, making humans and physical objects the same kind of scientific um, object. Yeah, on the same footing. And he's yeah. here is pursuing more his ontological agenda by saying there is no uh, object weaker or stronger than another object by essence, but only by labor because it has brought the network. So, so enjoy. Just when we started talking about biology. <laughs> <laughs> so sorry. We I mean, I still actually didn't get to read that quote that I wanted to read on page 72. Uh, are you guys? Yeah, yeah, I do not remember this part. So Heidegger is against this kind of leveling. He is it? A, well, I mean, or is I, it I about the, forgetting the, the you know the human, the human behind the human? Well, he does say that technology or Gestell mm. challenges the essence of being human. So he saw technology uh, or the essence of technology and it's a bit you know one has to make a distinction because it's a bit complicated but he says that the essence of technology is not the same as technology uh, yeah. so so whatever gestell in framing challenges the nature of being human uh, right so in but I mean you can see that point that you know science 
like in biology, that you look at the human being as a as an object of science, a scientific object, and you don't care about emotions or I don't know other stuff. You just um, and you know that I guess that would be that would be a Heideggerian critique of science or why Heidegger didn't seem to like science because it ignores a lot of other things that maybe are not possible to study by putting it under the microscope, yeah. you know, making it present um, at hand and studying it in their presence at hand. Um, yeah, and this he joins the two finally, I mean, because, uh, uh, I mean, he didn't uh, formulate this uh, critique in this way, maybe, but uh, by... Uh, yeah, by uh, debunking the uh, scientific fact, he has rejected in a way the project of modernity uh, when he talks about uh, the, the three graces of modernity. Uh, uh, what are they? Um, science, I think, and uh, effic effectiveness. What is it? Yeah, here. Objectivity, efficacy, and profitability. Do you think that there is some kind of similarity with... Well, I mean, it's a, it's a very interesting and controversial question because, of course, Latour criticized Heidegger's notion of Kestel all over the place. Yeah. So he's very, he, you know, um, he, he ridiculed it, um, etc. So, so, so how is, uh, what is Latour's mm. uh, position yeah. on that? Of course, he had, um, we've never been modern where he has his own take off. Mm. Uh, modernity. The thing is, uh, he won't even criticize modernity because modernity has never happened. Mm -hmm. I mean, this, is kind of, this is one of the uh, weaknesses of Latour at this is that uh, Heidegger really tried to go, although it's a very difficult attempt to go beyond the kind of step, because we can't step behind our own back, kind of that kind of exercise, kind of looking at, but kind of reaching back, kind of and seeing what kind of frame we are actually arguing, at the same time kind of admitting that we are still, there is still something behind us we can't see. But this, this seems to be, to me it has been the biggest weakness, one of the biggest weaknesses of Latour, he really doesn't kind of, uh, what's the role of the, uh, really the observer, because the observer is always, tends to be human. We can't. I think in my view, yeah, in the field where Latour is playing, kind of the observer is anyway the human. He gives anyway, so he should somehow account for that. Maybe it comes later on here, but no. still, that's the that has been a weakness in his conception. Yeah, I don't give the specific uh, quote on that. I mean, I have a little spiel on this, so I don't know. No, I have not. I have not read anything. But uh, coming back to Heidegger, perhaps this perception when you say that uh, Heidegger um, is against the fact that people are put in the same way, perhaps because uh, we, what he's criticized is this idea of framing the understanding of the human beings. Uh, what I mean like that. Um, of seeing only part of the human beings, not all the things, not the conjunction of things. So he, in this case, he's criticizing the simplification. And then in Latour, he's proposing to be equal 
to be equal in both senses, in all directions, and not in this in this frame, not in a specific frame. So in this sense, it would be very different. Um, I don't, I, I don't know if I have to make clear, you know, yeah. that's yeah. not clear, it's a design in my well, mind. Well, well, I mean, are you suggesting that Latour's uh, approach is a response or a continuation of uh, Heidegger's? No, uh, no, I, 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 I do not have this proposition first. Second, I am trying to show you, the, to tell you that there is a difference, it's not the same. Oh, yeah, because there really is, so there, yes, there is uh, some similar similarities, but I say what his views, uh, what Heidegger was condemning is about how to read humans as human resource and not humans as a whole. So the problem is that science is reading the humans through a specific lens. Then we are simplifying humans in this sense. But when we go to act on network theory, the reading is absolutely different. Because you are putting, you are trying to understand both in the same level in their com completeness. Kind of continuing on, building on that, we might even say that in actual world theory, we are not interested in humans as whole entities. Mm -hmm. We are interested as, as as this person as a researcher in this and that kind of collective kind of contributing okay. to one journal, so kind of a researcher in the role of journal editor, and then we look uh -huh. what comes out. So in that sense, actor network theory precisely kind of wants to kind of, kind of goes maybe to precisely to other direction than Heidegger is trying to pull things. And on the other hand, I feel that obviously these are so broad metaphysics and philosophies that they are not strictly commensurable, kind of, we can't put them kind of make a column and put yes. yeah. AMD here and Heidegger yeah. here. And yes. yeah, they yeah. compare them against each other. Uh, but, yeah. I think there is a lot of, well actually I'm, I'm interested in this comparison. <laughs> Making such a comparison. Not necessarily but to, not to, exactly, not to turn it into a mechanical exercise. Yeah. But, but, but I think that, you know, taking some of Heideggerian, some of the Heideggerian notions or a Heideggerian lens can actually suggest some interesting, well, it helps, um, for me at least, to interpret some of Latour's um, yeah. points. Magda, what you are saying, I mean, um, also has been shared by a lot of uh, uh, sociologists who have criticized uh, the scientific facts and the project of modernity. So, uh, the simplification mm. of, uh, uh, of uh, science, I mean. So, Latour has built Upon that, I mean, this was like the first obvious step, and uh, the agenda of actor network was in a way looking beyond what is already, I mean, uh, like agreed by by uh, everyone. That I mean, the first pro problem with science that it was too much uh, simplification and too much focus on a very specific mm -hmm. kind of natural objects and uh, denying interest to maybe other objects that may, uh, ontologically speaking, have the same uh, weights and this may, um, I mean, uh, um, imply also an interest maybe uh, from a sociological point of view, not scientific point of view, but similarly has to be accounted for and explained. This is question, because it's scientific, then it has a better uh, impact mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and a better, um, I mean, and a stronger uh, weight in uh, 
in modernity. Mm-hmm. Well, what, what, what Latour does by, by, by this generalized symmetry thing, and also, well, eventually it's not interesting to look at individual humans or individual objects, because what matters is, well, the action that's being sort of distributed through these networks. I mean, he talks about fluid uh, as, uh, as sort of these, you know, the actor networks or, or it's this action flowing through and so almost doesn't matter. And also not just that, but an actor can be of any size, you know, so it could be something really tiny or an actor is an entire army, you know, uh, or, or, or an entire pentagon and the military industrial complex, you know. Or, or whatever it is. So, so, so then you can construct a story, uh, and I guess you know, people have been talking about this as a narrative approach in the sense where he, he uses semiotics and narrative theory to say that what you want is construct a story of out of the actors, and these actors can be truly different in size and shape. That's, that's an interesting point. I mean, there's a, at some point, sometimes there's a short uh, excursion through Durkheim to pragmatists. He doesn't talk about pragmatists directly, but uh, actually uh, the idea, the important thing is to see here that the central concept is action. What is action and who acts and how it acts and with what results. So basically, from the perspective of action, we are not interested in whether it's the whole state or individual person or just a chair that kind of contributes to action. When the, kind of we start from some action and then we kind of look outwards, all those things, whatever they are, how they kind of contribute to that action. But regarding that, and I think this is important uh, in terms of relating to the sociology kind of studies in a way, society as whole, there is on page 70, uh, there's a brief note there are, uh, about what I call large-scale entities, and he talks about in one uh, another article about this, because obviously the challenge for actor network theory is that if we start from the very local or kind of circumstances and kind of ask that, we, we want, you have to somehow explain why on earth there are kind of large-scale regularities in society. Because it's easy to show them by statistics and it would simply run against kind of common sense that, to say that there are no kind of large-scale regularities. So how do you explain this? And he says here that uh, uh, 70 lost the place. Uh, uh, social action is not only taken over by aliens, it's also shifted or delegated to different types of actors which are able to transport, here to transport this uh, key term, the action further through other modes of action. This is, he has, I think he has made this comment in other articles in a more explicit way, but basically the idea is that if you want to have a big uh, state, you need to have the uh, telegraph lines, the railroads, and roads to move stuff around. Otherwise, your, your state won't hold together. Actually, it was uh, in, in, the, in, in, in the medieval times when uh, they kind of the, kind of uh, we didn't have states like. This where you have borders. You had well, the states where you had a castle here, and then you had kind of its influence was kind of radiated roughly 90 kilometers around because that was the length an army could march 
on foot and kind of uh, on horse and still fight. Beyond that, you couldn't kind of it was beyond control. You can, couldn't kind of control territory beyond that. You didn't have simply the means. So, in a way, you need to have this uh, material support for kind of having this kind of large-scale entities as if as state, kind of territorial state, which is relatively new invention. And yes. the, but this is, he doesn't develop what's this. A, what's, what's his invention, sorry? Uh, kind of, uh, the, the territorial state is mm -hmm. relatively new invention. Okay, new invention, sorry. Yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. And uh, so you need maps and you need tele telecommunications and all this stuff to kind of hold this states, these large-scale entities together, you need a lot of bureaucrats and forms and kind of computers to kind of calculate the gross domestic product. Um, I will even go further and suggest that, um, and I think Harman suggests that as well, but there are signs of it even in this book that some of, some of these actors and agencies that authorities talk about it even goes beyond just almost cosmic, or it talks about the sun and photosynthesis and you know, or you always clear there's a day and a night and there's seasons and all that and it all has impact on how we do things and what we do, you know, on a full moon and uh, all that stuff. So, so actually this distributed agency is, uh, well, or, or, or distributed action or action overcome, you know, the source of some of these actions could be really distributed quite, quite far. But, but I'm just trying to say that, well, maybe it's a, it even goes further. And of course, people have been, you know, commenting on the fact that Latour is a practicing Catholic, you know, and... Uh, and? Well, <laughs> well, well, the question is, how do you, because, Explain. of course, what do you, well, how do you, if you, if you then try to understand A and T or Latour as a metaphysicist, metaphysician, or, you know, uh -huh. as a philosopher, and what does he have to say about God and religion and those kind of things? And, you know, I, I don't think that in any, uh, of course, he doesn't talk about, um, um, directly about theology anywhere, really, right? But, but it's an interesting... Mm, yeah. You know, I think it's any, you know, and actually some people were, I mean, I'm aware of one particular critique where somebody said that Latour and Ceres are, what is it, Catholic cybernetics or something, or it's, or it's cyber, you know. Cybernetic Yeah, yeah, that, that it's sort of a, and someone even traced it back to, traced actor network, actor vector theory back to some kind of a cyclical letter <laughs> of, a, of, a, of, a, of a pope. From the turn of the century or something like that, you know. So, so anyway, but but I just find that an interesting thing. And of course, Heidegger trained as a Catholic priest um, at some point. So this whole issue of Catholicism and um, you know what is the role of all of that in the background? You know, I mean, I, know, I find that interesting. But, but interestingly, you know, I mean, he's quite Latour is quite dismissive of any of these traditional notions of. God or religion or not, not, not a religion as such, but of the traditional, um, you know, those philosophers of who used God as a way of explaining things, use God as an intermediary or so to speak, you know, using as the ultimate cause. Yeah, that would not be consistent with his 
notion of you know mediators and intermediators. Exactly, because in this sense, I mean, he's not uh, putting in question the notion of God in itself or the existence of God. He does say that God is real. I, I, at the moment he said it, I mean, uh, in one of his texts, God does exist, not because it does exist in this uh, uh, religious or uh, metaphysical way, but because there is all this network around uh, <laughs> God, that God. Exactly, that makes it exist in a way or not. I mean, we like it or not, we think, we believe yes, in it or yeah. not. And he does exist. Yes. In a way, not. My friend sent a book to him, my other sort of my master's thesis in the University of Helsinki. He's kind of he's a fan of Lacroix, and he said that uh, if you look at the conception, kind of if you ask who acts in uh, actor network theory, and the research, the answer is God, because there is no sort of source of activity. Actually, it's this constant flow of kind of flows through everything. So it's in a way it's. In the moment you understand God as uh, an assemblage of uh, very heterogeneous things, but uh, uh, the, when you say God as a substance, then it's not a substance. It's exactly. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yes. So, but obviously, there is little we can kind of we can maybe we can go in deeper into this topic on the basis of this, but it might be. Yeah. Well, of but course, you don't want to divert that. Question, very, the empirical question, I still haven't found answer, and I have made this point many times, so I guess I mean every time I talk about Latour, is that how do you, in empirical research, how do you cut out the piece of this kind of wholeness you study? And there seems to be no kind of. Uh, how do you create the boundaries of what yeah, you Yeah, because yeah. you have to create them. Actually, that sentence. 
Okay, so it says, actants are participants in the course of action waiting to be given a figuration. It's almost a, maybe an action that hasn't fully been recognized or hasn't, hasn't fully hasn't become a matter of concern. So what, is it then again happening outside of the observer? You know? Uh, and then he goes on to say, I don't want to read all that, but just the most interesting bit for me is that, well, uh, well, such a reversal in the direction of influence. So he's trying to say that, well, you shouldn't just say that objects have agency because that's just determinism of another kind. So such a reversal in the direction of influence, on the bottom of page 71, would be simply a way to transform objects into the causes whose effects would be transported through human action, now limited to a trail of mere intermediaries. So that's still the critique. But now comes the sentence that I was dying to read. Um, rather, it means that there might exist many metaphysical shades between full causality and sheer inexistence. And so... This suggestion that there may be some things like actants or that are not fully existing, you know, not so. So there, there's sort of several levels of existence. He actually said it also when he thought, when he said uh, some things are more real than others mm-hmm. in this durability. Yeah. Uh, exa- I mean, when things are taken for granted and they are durable, then they are. He said these are. Or, uh, in the domain of society, but when things are in the being, uh, in one of these levels you are talking about, I mean, real or more real, or uh, then they are in the collective. But I think about what it says about, I mean, metaphysically, what it says that, well, there are beings, you know, for for, for, I guess for Heidegger there was being and nothing, right? But here there seems to be. Not there is such a thing as a nothing, but there seems to be beings being in a different state of existence. Yeah. Which is, uh, I mean, it's but a very, very strange... causality, isn't it? Well, but also then causality becomes a ontological concept. Causality almost, because the root of the word, you know, cause, is, or, or, you know, causa, causa, thinghood. So, when something becomes a cause, it mm. turns into a thing. You know, when you turn into a mediator, you could say that, uh, in ethnic theory, you say that uh, it acts, therefore it is basically uh, kind of this idea of gradual existence, so something either exists or it doesn't exist. It's uh, kind of, kind of, sorry, that something that exists in many levels kind of be more real than... Sometimes you say that some things can be more real than other things, but those yeah. gradual, uh, it's... But when these things exist, where are they? Are they in... I mean, how come they so they are they are you know, kind of from the perspective of activity if we study it it doesn't matter if there is something if it acts it's, it's interesting it's part of the collective yeah. there might be something outside it but unless it makes unless it acts it, it's not interesting question in this conception yes, I, I, will, I will add Alex because it's very interesting but it's also more than action it's durability also for example, I would say, for example, God is uh, uh, the most real thing you can find because uh, um, this concept of God is so durable in time. I mean, the work around this idea of God 
has been so um, rooted in uh, humanity that uh, so it defines what's real by what's durable also. So the big things are the most durable and the most real. Yeah, but the durability is always made and performed. Like the God would not be durable without the millions of churches and kind of people going to those churches. They are kind of making the God every day. Yeah, but you would find more difficulty to deconstruct the idea of God than to deconstruct Anthem, for example. Well, it means that in the Anthem conception, you would, it would mean that you would, you would have to erase all those churches around the world and kind of stop people, stop making going to the church because kind of what, what's kind of what he says in many places, there is no inertia. Once something exists, it doesn't exist without kind of being constantly made to exist. So kind of, and this is very strongly kind of opposes that once something has been made to exist, it will exist on itself. Right. Um, I mean, Harman makes that point very strongly that for um, Latour, doesn't uh, that there isn't such a thing as potential, or that basically things exist. When they are performed at that moment in the occasion when they are made real, yeah, you know. So uh, basically, uh, that's what he calls actualism or something like that. Well, that, that things are always actual for for Latour. Okay, in so, critical compared with critical realism. Yeah, compared with uh, sort of probably everything yeah, else, so almost uh, where you think that there is a world and then there are objects and they have a potential and they kind of become something mm-hmm. later on. So it's also a question of concept of time, you know, because what concept of time uh, do you operate under? And so, and of course, there's a whole critique of presence in, you know, Heidegger and Derrida and all that stuff. But just this notion that when things are performed, that's when they exist. Yes, yes. So, so interestingly, I mean, when people go to the church and pray and whatever and, uh, you know, sing, <laughs> you, you know, maybe that's when something, this notion of God, you know, can exist at that moment, but it's always in the actual moment, and we always live in the actual moment, you know. So even right now, we are being performed, and everything in this room is being performed. Yeah, but you know, so. uh, also, uh, Peter, they have done it for so long that you cannot cancel simply this history now. I mean, it's okay that uh, because all of these objects and institutions um, uh, are present at the actual time, then. Uh, it's real, but at the same time, also history is performative in this sense because all this um, uh, history of religions and uh, all these actions people were performing from uh, the starting of time. Let me tell you a little anecdote to that. So, how do you pronounce that in French? Because the guy I'm trying to say. How do you say Mayasu. So, that's. Uh, that's where this whole idea of correlationism comes from, Quentin Measu. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Harman uh, cites him once from somewhere that he also said in a talk, I guess recently, that God, there, God doesn't exist, not yet. Or something like that. So, so, yeah. so, he was, he, so, so he's saying, but it, it may exist in the future. Or God may exist in the future. Well, anyway, just a, it's just an interesting uh, sort of uh, point, just to let's follow up on what you what you just. Let's take up the maybe easier example is uh, smoking. Some kind of uh, 
societal phenomenon. It's uh, it's very institutionalized and kind of it exists as a phenomenon. People are smoking quite a lot, but now actually, at least in Europe, there is quite a lot of work to get rid of that smoking and how difficult it is once it has been ingrained into the couches of all the pubs and kind of people's habits going to have a cigarette outside and their kind of bodily existence and kind of all this industry around the smoking. So it's very uh, so in sense in this sense it's possible to get it's possible actually to think of getting rid of the phenomenon of smoking. But then you have to undo all these kind of institutions. You have to change the couches in the pubs because it smells so bad now and kind of you have to kind of all these small things you have to kind of change to get rid of this huge macro thing called smoking that is found, has been found out to be and how the US said it wouldn't be elected <laughs> yeah <laughs> it lost the tobacco yeah. support so the, yeah in a way there is a sort of capitalization of practices all the practices of, that people were I mean performing or uh, around, uh, I mean, uh, cigarettes and uh, smoking, that to cancel them, you have to cancel also part of the memory of people. <laughs> well, you know, in a way, yes, very physical memory, kind of, the, kind of the need for getting your daily amount of nicotine. You have to cancel that if you want to get rid of smoking, yeah. and on a very large scale. Yeah, this is of the individual, but if you take it also at the level of the collective, and uh, I mean, because uh, people, uh, even if they don't smoke, uh, perceive, uh, I mean, uh, um, smoking and uh, uh, differently, I mean, so it's okay, I mean, uh, just give this point, sorry. Well, well the, uh, I mean, the overall sort of problem or the debate or the issue about you know the role of the observer and it's tied up very much with this idea of the actor and the actant because if an actant is something that has not achieved yet the figuration and it's in a it says it's one of these uh, intermediate stages of existence so to speak that is not, has not yet been turned into a full actor or it hasn't turned into a full actor uh, well that's sort of very parallel to this whole, again, this whole problem of the mediator and the intermediary, but also parallel to the whole issue of object versus thing, which, as we know, comes uh, from Heidegger, you know, the whole uh, the mm. thing essay. Is Latour proposing also the difference between object and thing? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and he acknowledges Heidegger for that. It's on page, uh, and Harman, that's where Harman is on, so page uh, 114. And of course, this is the, I mean, it's, it's towards the end, end of this whole two chapters, and it's, there's a real culmination, I mean, there's really building up to this sort of crescendo, you know, it's building up to this point of introducing mm. the notion of the thing. Although he doesn't actually, he may not actually mention the word thing, but he mentions the word gathering. So on page 114, maybe. Yeah, so the, uh, the Because he's uh, also talking about matter of concern, remember? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So he has deconstructed the notion of object. He said an object is not an object, it's a matter of concern. And now he's uh, comparing that or referring to Heidegger's distinction between object and the, the thing. 
and the thing, which is also being critical of elsewhere. So I don't know if you if you want to read the um, you know this section. Well, page one one four. It says, ANT is not interested only in freeing human actors from the prison of the social, but in offering natural objects an occasion to escape the narrow cell given to matters of fact by the first empiricism. So first of all, we get a critique of empiricism. So, and then you could say, you know, whatever, let's say positivism or, you know, how you sort of look at this world and somehow you're trying to derive through I don't know, you know, the deductive or inductive reasoning, in whatever way you want to materialize this thing that you're going to call a fact, and it's a scientific fact, right? Now, so he's critical of that, so instead of the fact, he's proposing the matter of concern. Oh, and, uh, yeah, sorry, so if you don't mind, i just read yeah, this. No, this is what I have always found so refreshing in science studies. Until its development, the conversation between philosophers sociologists and political scientists about the right divide between nature and society had always been illustrated by boring, routine, millenary old matters of facts such as stones, rugs, mugs and hammers that were basically things Neanderthals could have been using already. Um, so first of all, I mean of course this is a reference to um, never being modern and you know all that. Those objects are perfectly respectable but as we saw in the preceding chapter, they no longer leave a trace, and thus there is no way they could appear again as mediators. Well, yeah. I haven't even uh, sort of fully... That wasn't even what I was building up to. I mean, it's an interesting <laughs> train of thought. Sorry, do you want to have some, something to say? Because it's really the next paragraph that I wanted to get to, but go ahead, because you have something. No, wait, but I'm just, it's just a comment uh, based on that, because... Uh, I cannot see how they cannot leave a trace because uh, if you uh, throw a stone on someone, then it acted upon him by hurting him. No. So, into which extent? I mean, uh, we understand that uh, a matter of fact doesn't act. Well, he's doing some sort of a reversal here. I mean, he's trying to suggest that he seems to be critiquing archaeology or something like that, or, or the traditional histori uh, historiography in the sense that, uh, of course, there was a way of constructing this history of what Neanderthals were. I mean, he's talking about this distinction between nature and society, and I guess, you know, between what is civilization and not civilization, and when has it become. When did we become into humans beings? Or because I guess Neanderthals weren't human, were they? <laughs> According to definition. But, uh, but 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 maybe let's move to the next paragraph. The discussion begins to shift for good when one introduces not matters of fact, but what I now call matters of concern. While highly uncertain and loudly disputed. These real, objective, atypical, and above all, interesting agencies are not taken exactly as objects, but rather as gatherings. And here you've got 157, and as you can see, he's referring to Heidegger and Graham Harman here, and so the whole Heideggerian problematic of 
the thing as being a gathering of the fourfold, mm-hmm. you know, uh, that we talked about. And um, so it's interesting, uh, you know, that uh, he ends, he concludes with um, sort of Heidegger <laughs> and this whole train of thought about deconstructing, you know, moving from objects to matters of concern. But another thing he's doing here, of course, critiquing the notion of knowledge, because um, I guess a fact is an objective, objectified piece of knowledge. In a way, to me, it seems that it's matters of fact, of facts are sort of kind of too often is too often seen as entities, kind of closed, ready-made, finished, static yeah. entities, where the discussion is already over, yeah. kind of that went into those entities. And uh, here, just this might be just this very small detail, but kind of I like this way of using the word objective, because uh, like objects, objects. If you understand what I mean, kind of he likes to use the word object as a word. Mm-hmm. He doesn't like the noun object. But as a word, object against kind of to oppose something. Mm-hmm. And also kind of being objective, kind of tending tend to kind of oppose kind of these are kind of good words to him and kind of important I words. I would add also that I mean for Latour uh, it's not interesting to study uh, matter of facts. I mean, he's more interested in in looking on uh, at uh, uh, matters of concern mm. rather than matter of fact. Because uh, in this state of being, uh, I mean, because when you can study matter of fact, it's only through history and retrospectives. When you go back and uh, and debunk, start debunking uh, black box and uh, what's uh, being taken for granted and uh, unfold all the controversies uh, behind their history and how they have been constituted. So this is a very huge effort and work and labor. But I mean, when it's still a matter of concern, then you may follow. Uh, uh, I mean, uh, the object how it becomes real, how it becomes, he gains more like uh, uh, marks of reality, more strength. Uh, well, you could also suggest, or you could um, also suggest that matter of concern is a definition of a certain kind of materiality. What do you want to call it? Uh, Epistemo, socio, material, material notion. Almost in, in the sense that um, well, it, it's uh, he, he merged the idea of the knowledge uh, with the object, you know, and it's a concern. Who is concerned? Well, it's actually a human. Um, actually, actually, that's what Graham suggested at some point that that would suggest that it's some kind of a correlation or correlationist notion because who can be concerned? Only humans can be concerned. Well, we, we could we could we could talk about that, but. Something becomes a matter of concern. I, mean, I totally agree with everything that you said. So this is a much more dynamic um, sort of in constructed being in, in the process of being constructed and supported and maintained knowledge. But it's not just knowledge; it's also things. It's matter, materiality. Well, I mean that merging of the epistemology and ontology that things are not just beings, but they're also entities of knowledge. Yeah. So to speak. Oh, just mode of existence also. Yeah.
one of these yeah. modes of existence. Lance Sarah actually talk about knowledge because he's kind of fit, but he's one of his interests is knowledge management. He made actually quite a good point in his talk about when he engineered. Uh-huh. He had this yeah, exchange yeah. with engineering. I think yeah. made actually uh, knowledge happens when you are kind of yeah. well, how would he say that when you are puzzled about something, kind of when you are kind of that you encounter something you don't understand. Strangeness. 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 How yes. you encounter strangeness. And that's where he said knowledge happens. Yeah. Because once you understand something, it kind of becomes sort of a background. background fact that you don't anymore uh, pay attention. And so you take for granted. You take, take for granted it. So in a way, the kind of knowledge is kind of, knowledge is not a thing, but a kind of thing that happening of okay. when, when happening when you encounter strangeness. I think he put it quite yeah, nicely. Yeah, and uh, in a way this is actually also against this uh, instrumental view of knowledge as a capital, because we, they talk about knowledge, capitalization of knowledge, as if knowledge was a thing that you can... Mm. But here Lanzara is actually the, saying the reverse thing, that knowledge happen, happens only when uh, you face strangeness, when you are when you are able to learn something. Mm. In a way, another way of seeing this matter of fact, matter of concern, uh, divide or distinction is that uh, there is very traditional uh, distinction in sociology about you can study social structures or social action. And this this is the very basic duality structure agency problem mm-hmm. in, in sociology. Kind of, some of, kind of, some really kind of fundamental metaphysical aspect kind of groundwork for sociology and this sense uh, Lacan would of course freak out but in this sense you could put see this as an uh, agency action perspective basically because if you study matters of fact you study kind of stable structures uh, I see it more, I see it more uh, along the, his distinction between the intermediary and the mediator. So, if you turn something into a, um, a matter of fact, you turn it into something solid, and you treat it as an intermediary, then you can explain other phenomena with that fact, because you consider it, you know, but eventually... Well, at one point he says that the problem with the traditional notion of causality is that it turns everything into an intermediary. Because if you say that A causes B, then actually you say B doesn't matter because it is A. You know? So, and, and that's how translation is different, or his notion of causality, that A doesn't cause B. And I'm not sure if I lost the passage, I'm not sure if I find it, but he says it's more like that A triggers an event or triggers something in B but it's not necessarily uh, a, a direct you know a, 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 and so a matter of concern would be then a mediator view of um, of, 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 of matter and well a being or a, a piece of knowledge because uh, a mediator is sort of in progress or it's in action it's uh, it is unpredictable. You don't know what it's going to do. While while an intermediary is already established and fixed, and so a fact is fixed. Mm. Actually, just 
arts, I mean, I totally agree. Uh, in this sense also, I mean, in the first page of uh, the third uncertainty, he was talking about uh, not confusing the cause and the effect, the explanator with the explanant. And uh, this is joined. Uh, that's why, I mean, he, he, he didn't want to talk about causes affecting uh, things, because for him, in page 67, this is the main critique uh, of uh, uh, the... Uh, the tradition of sociology and when he says 67 uh, and sociologists in a careless move might take a wrong turn and say that durability, solidity and inertia are provided by the durability, solidity and inertia of society itself they might go even further and take this tautology not for the starkest of contradictions but from what should be admired most in the miraculous force of a society that is, as they say, sui generis, by which they mean that it is generated out of itself. So here it comes back to that we are just explaining force by forces or, uh, and we are not really given any explanation, any rich explanation of that's why, I mean, he doesn't want to start with this matter of facts, because matter of facts will bring you in a sort of vicious circle. Yeah, well, explain so. the thing by its... Yeah? Well, the thing is that the big question is, so, okay, for sociology, um, one example, I had a friend visiting recently who's a taxi driver in San Francisco, and he says that, oh, you know, there are days when a lot of little bad things happen yeah. while you're working and then some poor person comes you know at the end of the day and just pricks your bubble and he just sort of explodes at that poor customer you know <laughs> and unleashes and then he says oh and he's embarrassed afterwards saying like oh well I'm not being a professional I can't control my emotions from the perspective of that last customer who finally whatever he did in the car that upset him so much probably would think that he was the cause of him getting so upset when in fact that was not the main cause, you know, in it because really all the other there, there was this really distributed sort of action and but if you if you use the traditional sociology perhaps or, or that sort of A causes B thing then okay this guy upset that guy. And I'm sure you must have had this experience with your friends or you know partners or whatever that people just blow up and you don't even know why because that was just the last point. But does that work for, you know, the natural sciences in the sense that if you have a nut allergy, you know, and you, or you have an allergy to something that enters into your body and it's pretty clear, that I, I, I had an allergy to this particular substance, A, causes B, and I'm pretty happy that the doctor can establish that, that this was a nut allergy, I just had some Brazil nuts and now, you know, getting really sick. So the doctor is able to give me the right kind of treatment. So it's here the hacking's distinction between interactive and indifferent kinds, I think, is uh, important. And I checked out he Luther makes three references to hacking in the yeah. but he doesn't talk about this distinction. I think it's it would be interesting to hear about because obviously that's can be argued that that's a difference between humans and non-humans. Is that humans we react what people say about them, say about us. If I conceptualize you as, like Janice made this 
example, which is from Hacking's book. Uh-huh. I said, uh, female refugee, mm-hmm. you start acting because you are classified, because you understand mm-hmm. the meaning of the classification, and you start acting because of that. If we say, whatever we say about work, the work doesn't give a damn about it. And this is, uh, this would be once, once again interesting to hear how does, whether this makes, because Plato must be aware of this distinction. And what's his take on this? Whether the, kind of how does it relate to this active network theory concept? And I think that's, to me, that's the most, the most ingenious way of making the distinction between social sciences and natural sciences. Is that really what we say about society? Come on, everybody is talking about social networks now in, in the industry. Social networks was invented by social scientists, the concept. Or at least it was maybe popularized in the 50s. So kind of there is this double hermeneutic in a different way than with natural sciences. Um, was there something else? Uh, just one thing I wanted to point about, because we're talking about causality. Uh, you, know, one, you don't have to turn the around, just read it's a very short citation. Uh, one of three is that Plato says, A and C cannot share the philosophy of causality used in social sciences, like what we just talked about. And I think he puts quite nicely here is that uh, on the page 170, all the access we are going to deploy might be associated in such a way that such a way that they make others do things. So basically, once again, this activity as the kind of, kind of this flow and kind of stream that flows through everything that can be seen in these matters of concern and kind of actors coming together. It still, it still leaves us with a problem of, you know, the notion of the the observer and just that one quote that I wanted to suggest on page 80. find it. 
but it's somewhere. It says the objects appear associable with one another and with social ties only momentarily. Oh, it's in the footnote. Page 96. Both impressions are only superficially true. A human's course of action is never homogeneous, and there is never a technology that is so well organized that it runs automatically. And yet, the practical difference remains for someone who is carrying out the inquiry. Again, the footnotes being, uh, you know, the place. But he's talking about the inquirers. He's, he's almost trying to say that some of these distinctions depend on the inquirer. Who is carrying out the inquiry? And of course, this also raises the only other issue that when we talk about intermediaries and mediators, for whom do they appear to be intermediaries? Uh, yeah, or mediators, is it the observer? Well, the best answer I have been figuring out is that the enactment for here, because a lot of doesn't want to make a distinction between, it's in a way a realist approach, but he doesn't make, want to make the distinction between ontology and epistemology. Maybe the question is that it's kind of, it's irrelevant. They are simply irrelevant, uninteresting, uh, not worth talking about or thinking about until they enter into some activity and kind of are recognized there. It may be also that here is something that this approach doesn't provide any answers, because if we are looking activity, something that doesn't act, it's not interesting. We kind of have no reason to talk about it. Yeah, but how do you see that the object is not acting? Because and it's not in the network, and but it's not relevant for this, that piece of the network. Yeah, yeah but it's also a question of time. Because it may be not acting now, but it acted or is going to act. So, but then, it but then you need to have this perception of time, you know, and the knowledge about the yes, but it, but In, in but networks, it, we don't talk about time. But if it acts, well... And this is an interesting aspect if you do not talk about time, yeah, but then I mean, somehow it is embedded in the other pieces of the network uh, as yeah, history, I, I as memory. To, yeah, I come back to what Harman was saying when, I mean, in the principles of Latourian philosophy when he defines what's uh, an event. Uh, an event is like uh, an occurrence now. Mm. And uh, so, uh, and he's defined an actor as an event. Or, I mean, this. Uh, I don't know, because, I, yes, I was, uh, I mean, very puzzled by this aspect. Because what, what, what does it mean, an actor that who, uh, or who, or that mm. is not acting? He, he says it's silent. But what does it mean, silence? Silence is also a matter of an interpretation. When you do a research, uh, when you interview someone and you, you transcribe, you do, do you transcribe the silence? Some people would put like uh, three points or put some hmm or some uh, gestures, I mean, but here silence is well, performative okay, also. I'm going to, so. to have to say is that in this situation in the activity of having the anthem meeting. My mother doesn't exist. Your mother doesn't exist. Aha, she's behind you. Oh, I'm not sure about that. <laughs> now I brought my mother here. Until this point, if you want to argue that my mother exists, you have to 
throw the you have to show the associations how she's associated with this. Some uh, of your interpretations can be the, can be done because you have your, your theoretically, theoretically yes, but you have to kind of I think other elements you have to be able to show to prove yeah, to prove yeah. that chain of evidence. Actually, yeah. I mean Latour is saying exactly that in page seventy nine. Objects have to enter into account. If no trace is produced, they offer no information to the observer and will have no visible effects on other agents. They remain silent and are no longer actors. They remain literally unaccountable. I mean, this unaccountable. Is, yeah, yeah. Word. It, this is, is not being existent. Unaccountable. It's different. It's different. Yeah. yeah. Okay, maybe that's a good. Way of putting unaccountable in this situation. The, one, the big difference between Latour and kind of this traditional sociologist, the sociologist has to understand society as a whole, some big entity, and starts from the biggest possible kind of entity and then starts to look down. But where's kind of Latour says, says explicitly that where is a good place to start? It's to start from the middle, kind of start. From kind of iterating from this that situation outwards, uh -huh. and this is very pragmatist approach. Pragmatists say precisely the same: that you have to start from the okay. middle, kind of middle and center, and then start to kind of going different directions and see how long you kind of reach sensibly. Yeah. But I think that's an important problem, though. What Wiffak uh, just uh, pointed out that well, you know, Heidegger has a pretty clear answer to what happens to things. Um, you know, in terms of history, that you know they withdraw, so and they get forgotten. So for, for Heidegger, there's the whole notion of oblivion. Things are, you know, uh, they sort of show themselves to you, and then they kind of disappear. They withdraw, and they are up there, you know, exist somewhere, but uh, they have withdrawn. For Latour, there isn't a space for withdrawal. It seems that objects and things always already exist. They just have to enter into the account, you know, and. This whole thing about mediators, you know, it's a bit troubling because, oh, sorry, intermediaries, that uh, if, if, if we said we have to study innovations because things turn into intermediaries, right? Things withdraw. Well, if they withdraw, then where do they withdraw? So, I don't know, there's just, uh, or, you know, when things are intermediaries, where are they? I mean, are they still mediators? They're still mediating, we just don't know about them. Yeah, even like what I mean, saying everything may be uh, now a mediator and uh, two minutes after an intermediary and then come back to be a mediator, it depends, I mean, on the turn of actions and the turn of the um, account in itself, the narrative. Another interesting example is that, uh, uh, you know, uh, Newtonian physics and the theory of relativity. Both of those, the kind of the theory of relativity basically uh, disproves the Newtonian physics. The Newtonian physics is basically wrong. But most, quite many applications are still based on Newtonian physics. It works perfectly well up to a certain limit, although the theory is in a way wrong. But so the, that means that the theory still works, well. still works pretty much. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. you have basically, in physics, you have basically two conceptions that are kind of one condition. But in practice, the both works quite well. Quite well together, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You don't need kind of uh, theory of relativity to explain most of, the, to most of the... Right. And you build a bridge. Yeah. Yeah, you build a bridge. Because it's bloody kind of com 
cavity. So actually Newton young physics work act much more efficiently and well in that context. When you put a satellite in the orbit, you need Newtonian. So then you need relativist, the theory of relativity. They have this funny problem with uh, how actually it was, because it was quite a theoretical conception. But once they launched the GPS system, they, didn't, they uh, programmed the, the correction that was predicted by the theory of relativity, but they didn't activate it first. And after one month, the positioning was screwed up, just, uh, just like the theory of relativity predicted, yes. and then they activated it. And then, so that it, was together, and then it worked. So then you need the theory of relativity, but if, if you will bridge, the Newtonian physics works perfectly still. Okay, I think thanks. Thanks. thanks to you all. Thank you all. One thing I'm uh, starting actually collecting because I would like to say that I would do some <coughs> notes from this, but I, after I that previous session, kind of make notes so it's difficult because I don't want to transcribe the whole session. That doesn't make sense. But I, start, I noticed that I started to make notes about things that are kind of, in a way, open issues and puzzling. Kind of, you can't find a kind of definitive answer from here. And those might be the things that actually I would, I would like to kind of maybe talk with Hannah. Hannah. <laughs> <laughs>